Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It was a few nights ago, or maybe it all truly began about a year ago. There's a dirt trail that winds its way behind a row of homes in my housing complex a trail I often traverse when I take my dog Jack for his nightly walks. Jack's a bit of a nervous pup, especially around strangers, and the dimly lit trail usually guarantees we won't encounter anyone. This time of year the trail is perpetually damp and carries the pungent aroma of decaying leaves that blanket it. The fences, barely higher than waist level at their lowest and reaching shoulder height at their highest points, separate the trail from the backyards of these homes. My fence falls somewhere in between those extremes, offering a less than ideal level of privacy. I often grumble about it, but it seems the longtime residents either don't mind or haven't cared enough to replace them. At first, I felt like a bit of a nosy neighbor, but it's hard not to sneak a peek through the illuminated windows and glass patio doors. My curiosity was innocent, far from that of a perverted voyeur seeking to catch a glimpse of something illicit. Still. The fear of being labeled the neighborhood's peeping Tom if caught outweighed any guilt I might have felt for my inadvertent observations. Nevertheless, as time passed and I continued my nightly walks, my reservations began to wane, and I found myself watching more and more. Each window became a silent vignette, a glimpse into the lives of my neighbors. Sometimes I'd linger longer, as though waiting for Jack to finish his business, if something or someone caught my attention. For instance, there was a single mother who occasionally built whimsical pillow forts with her two kids. It tugged at my heartstrings, evoking feelings of nostalgia. Then there was a young couple that seemed to engage in heated arguments that swiftly transitioned into passionate embraces and a retreat further into their home, presumably to work out their issues. Their record was an astonishing 27 seconds from argument to embrace. I counted. Most nights, it was routine people following their well-practiced patterns. It was true what they said about people being creatures of habit. The same neighbors cleaned their kitchens, settled onto their couches, or headed to bed at the same times, night after night. The final house along the trail belonged to an elderly widower who seldom left his abode. During the day, a man, presumably his son or another relative, dropped by with groceries and necessities. The elderly man typically dozed off in his tattered recliner, TV casting a faint blue glow, wearing his worn-out housecoat. Nothing ever happened there, just an old man, slack-jawed and snoring away. A few nights ago, as I reached the end of the trail and glanced into the old man's window, he was there again. Same old housecoat, same blue glow from the TV. But he wasn't in his recliner. He stood motionless by the window, his eyes locked onto mine. Startled by Jack's sudden barking, I momentarily dropped my gaze. When I looked up again, the old man remained, not moving a muscle, not even blinking. I tried to wave, attempting to break the awkward tension, but he didn't react. Unease settled in, and I took Jack home, trying to put the strange encounter out of my mind. The next night, as I approached the trail entrance, I couldn't help but think about the old man and his unblinking gaze. Why should I care if he saw me walking my dog? 
I hadn't done anything wrong, and I was just being paranoid. I scolded myself for making a mountain out of a molehill and continued on. However, I refrained from peeking into the regular windows, still unsettled by my encounter with the old man. That is, until I reached the house of the young couple. Their lights were on, but they weren't arguing this time. They were watching. My heart raced with fear. If this was some elaborate prank, I wanted no part in it. Jack, who had been lagging behind, quickened his pace as I pulled him along. When we reached the end of the trail, Jack whined, and I looked down to see him with his tail tucked between his legs. The old man was there again, in his same old housecoat with the same lit windows of the TV, still watching, but he wasn't alone. Out on the dirt trail and among the trees, there were more figures. The young couple, the single mom, her children, and at least half a dozen other neighbors. They weren't in their living rooms or kitchens, nor were they at their windows. They were right there in front of me, silently watching. My heart leaped into my throat, and I ran, pulling Jack along with me. I barely slept that night, my mind racing with anxiety. I couldn't stop pacing around and checking my windows to see if they were following me. In the early hours, I abandoned any hope of getting meaningful sleep, made a pot of coffee, took a shower, and tried to prepare for work. I decided that I would avoid that trail from now on, lesson learned. As I left for the bus stop, I saw the maybe son of the old man standing in the road in front of his house, and another neighbor I recognized by the bus stop, both standing perfectly still, both facing me. Frustrated and unnerved, I abandoned my plans for work and returned home. I was at a loss. Maybe I was losing my mind. I spent most of the day peeking out my windows and spotted the young couple on their porch, staring at my house. A few hours later, the woman from the neighboring house stood at the end of my driveway, motionless. I stepped outside, feeling a mixture of fear and anger. Can I help you? I asked, but she remained silent, just standing there, her gaze fixed on me. An hour ago, I let Jack out into the yard but something was terribly wrong. Jack, who always came running when I called, was now standing there, staring back at me. I couldn't bring myself to fetch him. I kept closing my blinds, only to find them open again, as if someone were watching me from the outside. Desperation set in, and I tried calling the police, my friends, my parents, anyone who could help, but all I heard was silence on the other end of the line. My neighbors are still out there, just beyond my windows, their faces illuminated by the moon, distorted by the shadows. Motionless, silent, watching. I work for a logging company located deep in the wilderness, surrounded by dense forests stretching for miles in every direction. The closest town, my own residence, is about 18 miles away. I've been with the company for eight years now, but recently, with inflation wreaking havoc on my savings and prices skyrocketing for everything from rent to gas, I volunteered for late night shifts to earn as much overtime pay as I could. Some of the guys who worked the night shifts had always mentioned that the woods, as well as the late night drive through them, took on a much darker and eerie atmosphere. I dismissed their words as mere superstition believing it was foolish for grown men to still be scared of such things. It was like needing a nightlight in your bedroom, like being afraid of the boogeyman in the closet. So, I laughed it off. But one night, a night I wish I could erase from my memory, changed everything. It was just past 2 a.m. when I finished my shift, 
bathed in the harsh glow of white spotlights as I used a forklift to load freshly cut boards onto a waiting trailer. These boards would be transported by an 18-wheeler in the morning. After parking the forklift, I headed into the break room, where a few of my colleagues and one of the security guards were lounging on worn-out couches, engrossed in what looked like an old 50s monster movie, playing on an ancient TV hooked up to an equally ancient VCR. Retrieving my punch ticket from its slot, I inserted it into the clock, hearing the familiar clunk signifying the end of my shift. Finished for the night, Robbins? Barry, a burly man with a thick beard, asked, tearing his gaze away from the movie. Want to stay a bit longer and join us? We're watching the monster that challenged the world. He gestured towards the screen. I shook my head. Thanks, Barry, but not tonight. I'm completely exhausted. All I want to do is go home, grab a quick bite, and hit the sack. I won't even get back to town until close to 3.30 or 4 in the morning as it is. Barry nodded and turned back to the movie, raising a hand to bid me farewell. But Damon, another worker, looked up at my words, his face filled with apprehension, a sight that surprised me. Did you just say you won't get home until almost four? He asked cautiously. Yeah, with that long winding road through the woods, it's going to take an hour or two, I replied, raising an eyebrow. Why? Damon exchanged glances with the others on the couch who seemed to share the same expression. I repeated my question, growing slightly annoyed. And why is that? I asked, my patience wearing thin. After a lengthy pause, Damon answered, Look, Mike, maybe it would be better if you stayed here a little longer, crashed on the couch with us, had a drink and some pretzels, and watched the movie, at least until after 3 a.m. I was perplexed and impatient, but decided to humor him. And why exactly is that? I asked with a hint of irritation. More exchanged looks among the men. Spencer, the man to Damon's right, finally spoke up. Mike, I know you don't believe in, well, most things, but I can't let you leave without a warning. None of us can. Barry let out a frustrated groan. Oh, for Pete's sake, Spencer. Enough with the superstitious nonsense. The realization dawned on me as well, and I rolled my eyes. Another one of their spooky stories, I thought. Both Spencer and Damon shot Barry a glare. You can mock us all you want, Barr, but there's something out there, something that roams the woods late at night, something unnatural, Spencer said. My patience finally ran out. There's nothing out there except regular forest animals, I insisted, trying to keep my voice calm. Damon stood up, blocking the view of the TV. Barry and the others mumbled for him to move, but he ignored them. Mike, were regular forest animals responsible for tearing that trucker out of his rig 12 years ago? Were they the ones who broke into the old mannequin factory and didn't damage anything but took some of the dummies? And was it regular animals that made an entire family vanish while camping three years ago, leaving behind a tent that looked like Jason Voorhees had taken a machete to it? Damon's voice grew more agitated with each question. Was it regular animals? Fortunately, Barry intervened, standing up and getting in Damon's face. Enough! He shouted, his deep voice almost shaking the break room's windows. Damon immediately fell silent. Barry took a deep breath and spoke through clenched teeth. Enough with the nonsense, Montclair. If you do that again, I'll personally speak to HR and recommend your termination, along with anyone else who's fallen for these stories. We've tolerated it for months, but no more. He narrowed his eyes. Understood? After a tense pause, Damon nodded and sat back down, fuming. Tough luck. Barry turned and motioned for me to leave. Go ahead, Robbins. 
Have a good night and drive safely. With that, he too resumed watching the movie. Retrieving my flannel jacket and phone from my locker, I left the break room without looking back. The chilly autumn air hit my face as I pushed open the metal door to the outside and the sounds of the surrounding forest enveloped me. Crickets or cicadas chirped nearby in the grass. An owl hooted in the distance and something that sounded like an elk called out. Far away, a mountain lion growled. I paused for a moment, taking in the peaceful atmosphere as I attempted to calm myself. Such nonsense, I muttered to myself. My words provided some solace, and I began walking towards the makeshift parking lot at the far edge of the property. My truck, a dark green international scout, occupied the middle of the small line of remaining vehicles. Unlocking the door and climbing inside, I shook my head slightly and inserted the key into the ignition. The V8 engine roared to life and I flicked on the headlights, shifting the gear stick into first and pulling out onto the deserted road. It was often referred to as a highway, but in reality, it was a narrow two-lane road connecting the neighboring communities. Overhead, the branches of pine and fir trees intertwined, blocking out most of the moonlight, as if they were trying to reach down and smother everything below. I shook my head, trying to dispel any irrational thoughts. No time for metaphors, I mumbled to myself. My words comforted me somewhat, and I leaned back into my seat, shifting the truck into fourth gear and allowing the open road and the music playing from the radio to empty my mind of the recent confrontation. For the next 45 minutes, I drove in silence, the only sounds being the rumble of the engine, the hum of the off-road tires on the pavement, and the music seeping from the speakers. The cassette tape had just ended, and I was searching for a new one when something darted across the road, momentarily illuminated by the headlights. I looked up just in time to see it scurrying across the road, barely eight feet from my front bumper. An involuntary shout escaped my lips. Damn it! I slammed my feet on the clutch and brake pedals. The rear tires locked and the screeching filled my ears as the truck skidded to a stop by the grassy shoulder. I sat bolt upright for a few moments, my breath coming in quick ragged gasps, and my heart pounded in my chest as I tried to calm myself. Eventually my racing heart slowed, and my mind began to function. What the hell was that? And did I hit it? I exhaled deeply, hoping I hadn't. Repairing a 51-year-old truck's body panels wasn't cheap by any means. I shifted the gear into neutral, turned off the high beams and parking brake, and reached for the dimmer switch on the floor, allowing the area to be lit up in the high beams. Grabbing a flashlight from the glove compartment, I opened the driver's door and stepped out into the chilly night. Even with my jacket on, the air felt colder than it had at the logging mill. Turning on the flashlight, I walked to the front of the truck, shining it on the grill. Thank goodness, I muttered, exhaling a breath I hadn't realized I'd been holding as I noticed no damage. I turned away, gazing into the night. Whatever it had been, it seemed long gone. I couldn't hear the rustling of anything moving through the underbrush, the typical sign of an animal nearby. That's when I noticed something peculiar. I could hear the truck's engine rumbling behind me, the faint whistle of the wind weaving through the forest's labyrinth of trees and the distant splashing of the creek that followed the road. But I couldn't hear anything else. No sounds of animals, be they insects, birds, or larger creatures. It was completely silent, eerily unnatural. A shiver ran down my spine involuntarily, and I shivered. I'd lived near the woods my entire life, but I'd never experienced such silence. It didn't feel right. 
It was unsettling. Another shiver crept up my spine, and I glanced around, sweeping the flashlight beam to both sides of the dark road. I had just decided to return to my truck when a feeling washed over me, a sensation that being watched, observed. Alone on a two-lane road with no streetlights in the middle of nowhere, it was an unwelcome feeling. It felt as if something was bearing down on me, like prey being hunted. My pulse quickened again, and I realized how vulnerable I was out here. I did have a pistol in the center console, just in case, but I'd left it in the truck, a decision I now regretted. Okay, time to get back in the truck. Move it, man, I said softly to myself, the feeling of being watched intensifying by the second. My mind wandered to the mountain lion scream I'd heard earlier. To a big cat, I was an easy target. I decided to make my way back to the open driver's door. That's when a wave of dread hit me, one of the worst feelings I've ever experienced. It was like the sensation of prey when a predator closes in rapidly. I heard no sounds of an approaching animal, but the panic and fear grew more intense than I thought possible. I broke into a jog, then a run. I was sprinting by the time I reached the open door, feeling like whatever was pursuing me was right on my heels. Letting out a strangled scream, I jumped into the truck, slamming the door shut behind me and locking it. I fumbled in the center console, my hands gripping my pistol. Pulling myself upright, I turned and aimed the gun through the closed window. At nothing. There was nothing beyond the glass, no visible presence around the truck. Peering out, I couldn't spot anything near the ground either. I grabbed the flashlight from the floor, and gun still in hand, aimed it at the woods on either side. Nothing. After a moment, I exhaled loudly and leaned back into the seat. Then I began to laugh softly at myself. You're a damn coward letting Damon and Spencer's ghost stories get to you? I continued to chuckle, turning off the flashlight and returning the gun to the center console. Replacing the flashlight in the glove box, I shook my head as I reached for my seatbelt. You're better than this, I scolded myself. It was just an animal crossing the road, a bear, deer, elk or something, nothing more. I glanced at the glow in the dark face of my watch. 2.53 a.m., I sighed and turned off the high beams and parking brake before pulling back onto the road. As I continued my late-night drive through the dense, ominous forest, I decided to skip searching for another cassette tape in my truck's center console and opted to tune the radio to the nearest station. The smooth, silky voice of a man conducting the late-night local farm report emanated from the speakers, providing some semblance of normalcy in the otherwise eerie surroundings. As I listened to the mundane details of beef and chicken prices, a sense of relaxation began to wash over me, gradually dissipating the tension that had built up during my night shift. I even entertained the thought that I'd be home, safely tucked in my driveway, in less than half an hour. This notion brought a reassuring smile to my face, and I chuckled softly, contemplating sharing this bizarre experience with my co-worker Barry during our shift tomorrow night especially after the strange events that had unfolded earlier. Returning my focus to the road, I leaned down and adjusted the radio's volume slightly. The farm report had come to an end, and the man on the radio was now delivering the upcoming week's weather forecast. I leaned back into my seat, allowing my tired eyes to follow the path illuminated by the truck's headlights as I ventured around each dark bend. Approximately ten more minutes passed and I found myself blinking more frequently, succumbing to drowsiness sooner than anticipated. It was disconcerting, as I hadn't consumed any caffeine or soda in hours. 
and I dreaded the idea of falling asleep at the wheel, potentially causing a catastrophic accident. The vivid mental image of my scout wrapped around a thick pine tree with my mangled body inside sent shivers down my spine. All right, I guess we're doing this, I muttered to myself, realizing I had no choice, and reached into the center console for something I knew was there. My hand emerged, holding a lighter and a battered pack of Marlboros. Despite my near-complete abandonment of smoking after my uncle's death from cancer three years ago, I had kept one last pack for moments when I felt overwhelmed or in need of a pick-me-up. Two lone cigarettes greeted me from the pack's interior as I pulled one out and glanced at the final remaining one inside. And then there was one final little Indian remaining, I muttered, recalling an old childhood story. Engaging the truck's cigarette lighter, I refocused my attention on the road while waiting for it to heat up. The voice on the radio had been replaced by soft static. Great, I'm in a damn dead zone. I grumbled to myself and snapped off the radio, instead listening to the hum of the truck's engine. My mind revisited the unsettling encounter from earlier, and I couldn't shake the chill that had overwhelmed me back then. My train of thought was interrupted as the cigarette lighter made a popping sound indicating it was ready. I pulled it out, briefly touching the glowing tip to the end of the cigarette before returning it to its socket and exhaling a cloud of smoke. Get a freaking grip, Mike. It was nothing more than an animal. You're okay. You're going to be... I began to console myself when my eyes widened in horror as I rounded a sharp bend in the road, revealing a shape right in the middle of my path. I screamed, slamming on the brakes for the second time that night. The truck skidded to a stop just fifteen feet from the ominous shape, and I clutched the cigarette between my teeth, gripping it so tightly that I feared I might bite through it. It took a moment to process what I was seeing, a lump, black and yellow, but the shade of yellow wasn't natural. Panic set in as I realized the implications. I leaned forward, my heart pounding, and the cigarette clung to my trembling lips as I observed the figure more closely. That's a person. Oh, oh hell, I stammered slowly getting to my feet, cautious of my surroundings. The eerie silence of the forest added to my growing unease. Had someone been injured and ended up on the road? Or was it a sinister trap? My mind raced with thoughts of horror stories and urban legends as I reached into the center console and retrieved my pistol, along with a spare magazine, which I tucked into my jeans pocket. My hand shook as I approached the figure, which appeared to be dressed in a tracksuit, an unlikely choice for someone jogging in the middle of the night. As I knelt beside the motionless figure and tapped its shoulder, desperately trying to rouse it, a feeling of dread washed over me. Hey, I whispered, my voice trembling, no response. I shook the figure more forcefully, but it remained unresponsive. Anxiety gripped me as I realized the figure might be dead or unconscious. Summoning the last ounce of courage, I grasped the figure's shoulder and rolled it over, only to make a chilling discovery. It wasn't a person. It was a store mannequin, crudely disguised with a wig to conceal its lifeless white face. Shock coursed through me, and I nearly dropped my cigarette and flashlight as I stumbled backward, realizing I had walked into a potential trap. My mind raced and a deep sense of dread took hold. Oh no, I muttered, understanding how naively I had acted. My heart pounded as I quickly scanned my surroundings for any signs of danger. Then, as if confirming my worst fears, the mannequin began to drip something red from beneath the wig, sending a surge of terror through me. I staggered to my feet and took a step back, 
my eyes darting all around, only to be met by a new sinister sight. A shape, pure black and even darker than the night, emerged from the forest about thirty or forty feet to my left. Panic gripped me as I noticed something red and white on the shape. Paralyzed by fear, I realized what I was seeing. I screamed and spun around, grabbing my gun and flashlight, ready to fire in desperation. But before I could react, the shape abruptly stopped and silence engulfed me. My breaths came in shallow, frantic gasps as I watched the shape in the distance. I knew it was watching me, and the knowledge was suffocating. Then, it unleashed another blood-curdling shriek, louder and more vicious than before, before rapidly closing the gap between us. In a frenzied panic, I sprinted back to my truck, throwing open the driver's door and slamming it shut behind me, locking it in a desperate bid for safety. Just as I secured myself inside, the shape slammed into the truck's side with tremendous force, rocking it violently on its suspension. My fingers scrambled to lock the doors, and I could feel the creature attempting to flip the vehicle over. The horrifying realization that it was trying to overturn the truck and reach me fueled my determination. I jammed the gear shift into first and slammed my foot on the gas pedal with all the strength I could muster, sending the truck lurching forward, tearing itself from the creature's grip. The shape let out an ear-piercing scream of rage, and I could feel its malevolence as it tried to chase me down. My eyes darted to the rearview mirror, and I screamed again as I saw the shape gaining on me, even at a speed well beyond what should be possible. Panicked, I grabbed my pistol and prepared to fire, despite knowing that it had shown an eerie immunity to bullets earlier. I didn't care, I needed to defend myself. But then, in an instant, the shape disappeared. I didn't immediately realize it, my focus still on the road ahead, but when I finally glanced back, the shape was nowhere to be seen. Relief flooded through me as I approached the first set of streetlights, marking the exit from the ominous forest and the entrance to the town. That was two weeks ago, and I haven't been the same since. I can't bring myself to go outside after dark, and I've avoided work and contact with friends and family. The terrifying encounter still haunts my nightmares, and I constantly relive the fear and dread of that night. I don't expect anyone to believe my story, but I feel compelled to share it as a warning. If you ever find yourself driving alone on a dark, isolated road through the woods, do not stop. Keep your eyes on the road, ignore anything flickering through the trees or crossing your path, and drive as far away as you can, because you never know what might be out there, watching you, waiting for the perfect moment to strike. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. In a quiet, remote town named Sutton, my parents made a spontaneous decision to uproot our lives and move there. The driving force behind this abrupt change was the exorbitant rent prices in the city. In Sutton, they could afford a spacious three-bedroom house, complete with a guest room, though it seemed unlikely we'd ever have guests in this isolated place. 
Our relocation to Sutton was met with an initial facade of quaint charm. The town boasted a small center adorned with shops and a bustling marketplace. The residents, we soon discovered, were deeply invested in various community activities, from fruit and vegetable contests to seasonal celebrations and regular town meetings. It was as if they went to great lengths to distract themselves from something ominous lurking beneath the surface. I was initially resistant to the idea of moving, but I relented when I saw how much happiness it brought my parents. After all, I had only one year of school left before I was planning to move away for college. Little did we know that I would never leave Sutton. Our arrival in Sutton occurred on the 1st of October a year ago, and we were warmly greeted by our new neighbors. The first to welcome us were the Millers, who resided right next door. Mr. and Mrs. Miller appeared at our doorstep, bearing an enormous wooden basket filled with an assortment of baked goods, their faces adorned with unceasing smiles. While my parents were busy unpacking boxes in our living room, I eavesdropped on the conversation. Oh, what an excellent choice you made in buying this house, Mrs. Miller gushed. And at such a perfect time. We noticed you have a daughter. She seems to be about the same age as our Ethan. Perhaps he can introduce her to all the joys of being a young person in Sutton. Mr. Miller spoke with an unnatural haste. My mother couldn't get a word in edgewise. Yes, wouldn't that be wonderful? The three of you should come to dinner sometime. We would love to introduce you to our town, Mrs. Miller continued. Have you met Harry yet? My father rose from his seat and approached the door slowly. Oh, you must be the husband. Hello. My parents, being city dwellers, were visibly overwhelmed by the warmth of the townsfolk, but they couldn't help but smile. When the Millers finally departed, we indulged in the array of treats they brought. However, our snacking was repeatedly interrupted by new neighbors bringing more gifts. After the last set of neighbors left, my father closed the door and let out a sigh. The three of us shared a moment of silence before bursting into laughter. This will take some getting used to, my mother giggled. But it could be worse, right? Well, at least we won't have to worry about lunch or dinner today, I added. We had a plethora of casseroles, pies, and salads. Everyone had brought something. They're a bit peculiar, but nice, I suppose, my father remarked. I'm sure we'll adapt. Besides, many parents are already arranging friendships between you and their children, Avery. You're already quite popular, he teased. Yes, maybe I can become friends with Harry. Oh, yes, what was that about, my mother inquired. Everyone was talking about this Harry person, but no one told us who he actually is. Perhaps the mayor... Due to the fall holidays, my school start was postponed. I hadn't planned on making friends here, as I still had my friends back home. So I spent those initial days with my parents. The following day, my mother and I ventured to the grocery store recommended by one of our neighbors. We walked to the town center, a mere ten-minute walk from our new abode. I had expected a traditional grocery store, but instead we found a small kiosk stocked only with essential items. There were no recognizable brands, mainly just locally produced vegetables and dairy. The woman behind the register greeted us with a broad smile. Excellent choice of items, she praised. You should know that everything we sell is produced locally. Oh, that's nice, my mother responded. Well, not everything, but nearly so. We're quite self-reliant here and prefer it that way. Harry wouldn't have it any other way, she whispered, her tone changing. My mother and I exchanged perplexed glances. 
Yes, well, who is this Harry exactly? We keep hearing that name, and... My mother halted her words upon witnessing the woman's countenance change drastically. She had lost all color. You'll find out soon enough, but hopefully not too soon. Just remember, we all stick together here. This cryptic response left us even more baffled, but the woman refused to provide any further information. Instead, she tried diverting our attention with details about the upcoming fall festival. I wish she had been right, and we had more time. Unfortunately, fate had different plans. My parents had already retired to bed, and the street outside was eerily quiet. I was in my room, engrossed in a TV show, when I heard peculiar footsteps, more like the sound of someone dragging themselves along the floor. I approached the window, initially unable to discern anything in the darkness. All the lights in the neighboring houses were extinguished, and I recalled seeing residents lower their shades earlier in the evening. As my eyes adjusted, I discerned the source of the sound. I saw a man in tattered clothing with what looked like straw protruding from his limbs. His movements were awkward and slow, his body twisted and contorted, as if he were in pain. Yet, periodically, he would change direction, moving in a zigzag pattern. I couldn't make out his face until he stopped, directly in front of our house, and gazed up at my window. I suddenly became acutely aware that my room was the only one illuminated on the street. My breathing quickened, but my body remained frozen. And then, my bedroom door swung open, plunging me into darkness. I attempted to scream, but no sound emerged. A hand grabbed me and pulled me into the hallway. It was my father. Did you see that? He whispered. My mother stood in front of their bedroom door. I nodded, my voice finally returning. I didn't want to admit that my parents might be as terrified as I was. He was staring at you my mother whispered. My father approached my room cautiously and, after some time, declared, he's gone. Morning brought relief, and our fear from the previous night seemed absurd in the daylight. It was probably just some drunk guy coming home from an early Halloween party, my father suggested during breakfast. Yeah, I agreed, although I couldn't shake off the unnerving way he had stared at me. My mother played with her scrambled eggs, her appetite diminished. Could that man have been Harry? She inquired after a moment. I had pondered the same question. While we could laugh about it now, it didn't change the fact that something about Sutton felt profoundly unsettling. That evening, we received an invitation to dine with the Millers. Initially, I hesitated to join my parents, but curiosity about Harry and Sutton ultimately compelled me to attend. My mother brought along a bottle of her cherished wine, a remnant from the city. The Millers were ecstatic about it, and we sat down at their dinner table, laden with appetizers and decor. Indeed, these people are exceptional hosts, my mother noted. Mr. Miller opened the bottle and poured wine for all of us, including me. This is absolutely marvelous. I can't recall the last time I had wine this exquisite, Mrs. Miller exclaimed. I'm delighted you like it, my mother responded. I still have a few bottles. I can always order more when we're out. The Millers exchanged an odd glance, but refrained from commenting further. Ethan, Mr. Miller suddenly called out. It's time to start dinner. He turned toward us, apologizing. Our son sometimes gets lost in his own world. As we began eating, he finally joined us. Ethan resembled his father, with jet black hair and a tall frame, while Mrs. Miller was shorter with a crown of red curls. 
He was dressed casually in a t-shirt and ripped jeans, a stark contrast to his parents' attire, which resembled something from a 1950s dinner party. Ethan, meet our new neighbors, Eli and Joanna Russell, and their daughter Avery. Hi, he mumbled, taking the empty seat across from me. Ethan was the first person in Sutton whom we had met who didn't smile upon seeing us. Throughout dinner he remained unusually quiet, while his parents maintained their relentless chatter. Towards the meal's end, my mother decided to interrupt the peculiar couple by recounting the events of the previous night. A heavy silence descended upon the room. The Millers appeared uncomfortable but maintained their smiles. That was Harry, Ethan finally uttered. That's what I thought, but we don't understand this. Does this happen frequently? Does Harry have some sort of psychological issue? My mother asked, her bluntness taking us aback. Mrs. Miller shushed her. Sorry, Joanna, that was rude of me. She glanced around. It's just, we don't speak ill of Harry. Oh, I wasn't attempting to. The man was staring at our daughter in the middle of the night, and we were concerned, that's all. We don't want you to feel uncomfortable. Everyone here is thrilled that you've moved to Sutton, Mr. Miller interjected. It's just not easy to explain who Harry is. Has he ever harmed anyone here? My father inquired. Again, silence. The dinner concluded abruptly and awkwardly. We departed with more questions than answers. In the following days, my mother suggested a day trip to explore nearby towns and find a proper grocery store. Unspoken fear and unease had settled over us, and we longed to escape the clutches of Sutton. We packed essentials and embarked on a journey. Five hours of aimless driving led to a disconcerting realization. There was no way to leave Sutton. The GPS malfunctioned, and the streets seemed to lead to dead ends. We attempted retracing our path, only to discover that those roads had inexplicably vanished. Desperation consumed us as we navigated down a desolate road away from Sutton. We hoped this road would lead to our escape. It was empty, with no houses in sight, only vast fields. My father accelerated in a desperate bid to escape. Yet our relief was short-lived when we encountered something on the road. Initially unidentifiable from a distance, it became clear as we approached. A person, slowly advancing toward our car. We came to an abrupt stop before him. Instantly I recognized the torn clothing and the straw-like protrusions. Everything about him seemed surreal, except for his face, which bore human features with thick brows and thin lips. We sat there for a moment as he dragged his frail body toward our car. My mother locked the doors. He opened his mouth, but no words emerged. Then, he extended his arm toward my mother's door. That's when my father reversed the car. When we had distanced ourselves sufficiently, he turned the car around. We were nearly out of fuel, but we somehow made it back to our new residence. Upon our return, I noticed Ethan seated on their front porch, engrossed in a book. My parents initially discouraged me from approaching, but I convinced them it was harmless. They set out to visit neighbors, seeking answers for our desperate escape. Tried to leave, huh? Ethan remarked as I approached. I nodded. He offered a half-smile that seemed sincere. What's happening here? I attempted to conceal my anxiety. You've fallen into the trap. Once you move to Sutton, you're here for good. The only escape is death. I swallowed hard. That's preposterous. He shrugged. Doesn't make it any less true. We were here before, just to look at the house. We left afterward. That was before you actually lived here. Now it's too late. A myriad of thoughts raced through my mind, but I realized there was no point in denying the reality before me. 
We had spent hours trying to leave a town that had mysteriously transformed into a labyrinth. I knew he was right, even if it felt profoundly wrong. Frustration turned into anger. So why didn't anyone warn us? I demanded. Ethan rose from the porch and drew closer. Because they're all mad. When the previous occupant of your house passed away, they were simply elated to have new residents, new neighbors. They can't leave, so they'll do anything for a taste of change, even a glimpse of the outside. It will probably happen to you and your parents soon enough. My mother cried the entire evening. My father cycled through emotions, from rationalizing to anger, from silence to apologies. We tried reaching out to people outside Sutton, but every message was distorted. We are trapped, would become, we are so happy, and this is hell, would transform into, you should move here as well. Weeks turned into months, and Sutton became our new reality. My parents assimilated, dressing and acting like the townsfolk, attending town events, and forming friendships that mirrored their own sense of hopelessness. Harry wanted us to stay. The residents wanted us to stay and Sutton became our prison. I don't particularly like people, and due to a multitude of personal reasons, it seems that most people don't like me either. To emphasize just how much I prefer solitude, I recently purchased a new house that is situated so remotely that my nearest neighbor is at least a mile and a half away. It's just me surrounded by nothing but the company of animals and the rustling trees in every direction. Many would consider me crazy for living in such isolation, given the vulnerability to disasters. But at this point in my life, I don't think I care much about that. Or so I thought. How foolish I was. I left my previous town early in the morning, and by the time I had navigated my worn-out truck and the few possessions I went up the winding path to my new abode, it was already midday. The driveway was like a monstrous serpent of earth and gravel that cut through the dense pine forest. It stretched for about a third of a mile and was riddled with rocks and potholes, making me fear that I might get stuck. Miraculously, I managed to avoid needing a tow truck. As the trees and foliage gave way, they revealed a clearing with a modestly sized cabin at its center. I stepped out of my pickup, slamming the door shut, which startled a few birds hiding among the thick pine trees. Gravel crunched underfoot as I walked to the back of the truck to start unloading. While I claimed not to have many possessions, it still took me about six hours to unload everything. The furniture, especially the armchair, nearly broke my back, but my aversion to the company extended to not wanting any assistance with moving. As I stretched and wiped the sweat from my brow, I glanced up at the setting sun. Snap. A loud cracking sound echoed from the woods, piercing the air even at this considerable distance. Must be a massive tree branch, I muttered to myself, peering in the direction of the sound. The forest was so dense that visibility faded after about fifty feet, giving way to gnarled branches and darkness. The setting sun cast eerie shadows that stretched across the lawn towards my house. Although I tried to dismiss it, I found myself fixated on the source of the noise. Was it a deer? A bear, perhaps? At some point, I realized I'd been holding my breath and exhaled with a sigh. Just as I was turning towards the steps leading to my front porch, I heard another snap, louder and closer this time. I whirled around to face it, but there was nothing there. Jumping at twigs now? I chuckled to myself, finally breaking my gaze from the forest and stepping into the cabin, shutting the ornate wooden door behind me. 
Standing in the entryway, I surveyed my new home with a grin. It was indeed a nice place, exuding the rustic charm of a classic mountain home. It even had modern appliances and motion-activated floodlights on the outside, and I got it at a bargain price. Despite my initial reluctance to unpack, most of my possessions ended up in this room, stacked neatly against the wall. I removed my work boots and made my way to the kitchen to prepare dinner, which consisted of ramen noodles and a beer. I realized with a groan that I'd have to go grocery shopping eventually. I unpacked the TV and an old rocking chair, placing them in the living room to watch one of the many cheesy B-movies I had brought with me. I threw open a window for some fresh air and began to dig into my ramen. Crack. I practically jumped out of my skin when I heard it, another snapping branch in the woods closer this time. I settled back down in my chair, but my eyes remained fixed on the forest. Why was this unsettling me so much? The woods were filled with animals and sticks. It was normal to hear branches snap now and then. Despite my attempts to reassure myself, I continued to gaze out the window. The darkness outside had deepened, reducing visibility. Then I realized how quiet it had become, excluding the loud branches. No bird calls or chirping crickets. Perhaps they were sleeping, I thought, but the absence of the usual forest sounds began to gnaw at my nerves. A headache was building at the back of my skull, and sweat beaded on my brow despite the cool air blowing through the window. Enough of that, I muttered to myself, getting up from the chair with a grunt and promptly closing and latching the window. I regretted not bringing curtains with me, feeling exposed and vulnerable. However, the 22 rifle I had brought offered a modicum of comfort. I returned to my now cold meal, realizing I had been staring out the window for longer than I thought. After cleaning up, I headed down the hall to my bedroom. It was around 10 p.m., and the outside world was a sea of blackness without stars or moon, making me feel like I was in space. I took my medication, which was related to my aversion to people, and climbed into bed. The mattress was surprisingly comfortable, and I expected to drift into another dreamless sleep soon. Crack. I sat up abruptly, looking around the dark room. It wasn't my cozy bedroom that greeted me, but an endless expanse of dark, silent woods in all directions. I felt a sense of dread creeping in as I realized something was terribly wrong. I had never experienced a dream so vivid and disturbing. Snap. The loud noise came from just a few feet behind me, making me turn my head to see nothing but the eerie darkness of the woods. I tried to calm myself, rationalizing that it was just a dream, but I couldn't shake the feeling of impending doom. Why was I here, in this forest, alone and surrounded by darkness? I noticed the absence of sound, except for the occasional snapping of branches. No birds, no crickets, just an eerie silence that intensified my fear. I clutched the bedsheets, sweating profusely despite the cool air. Okay, enough of that, I said aloud, forcing myself to get up from bed with a grunt. I closed and latched the window, longing for curtains. I felt exposed and vulnerable, but my twenty-two rifle provided some comfort. I returned to my now cooling meal, trying to regain a sense of normalcy. Sometime later, I went down the hall to my bedroom. It was now around 10 p.m., and the moonless, starless night created an eerie atmosphere. I took a sleeping pill, hoping it would help me avoid another disturbing dream. Crack. I jolted awake, heart pounding, and looked around the room in panic. It was my bedroom, not the dark woods. 
but the feeling of dread lingered, and I realized I had been screaming in my sleep. I wiped the sweat from my brow, trying to shake off the lingering fear. Why did that dream feel so real? The massive tree from the dream haunted my thoughts. I turned toward the back door, hesitating before opening it. The backyard was surrounded by woods, with a massive tree stump at its center. I had seen it in pictures when I bought the house, and most of the wood for the cabin had come from that tree, but seeing it in person brought back unsettling memories of the dream. The days passed uneventfully, and it was almost as if I had imagined the strange dream and the noises in the woods. I settled into my routine of solitude, occasionally going into town for supplies and groceries. The forest no longer seemed as ominous during the daylight hours, and I even started exploring the surrounding woods, reminding myself that it was just my imagination playing tricks on me. But as the days turned into weeks, I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched. The woods felt alive, and every rustling leaf and snapping branch seemed to be a warning. I became increasingly paranoid, constantly checking the locks on my doors and windows, and sleeping with my rifle by my side. One evening, as I sat in my living room watching another B-movie and trying to distract myself from my growing unease, I heard it again, snap. This time, it was accompanied by a low, guttural growl. My heart raced as I turned off the TV and listened intently. The growl came again, closer this time. I grabbed my rifle and cautiously made my way to the front door. I peered through the window, my breath catching in my throat. In the dim light of the moon, I saw a pair of glowing eyes staring back at me from the edge of the woods. They were unlike any animal eyes I had ever seen, cold and malevolent. I aimed my rifle at the creature and fired, but it moved with lightning speed, disappearing into the darkness before my shot could hit its mark. The echoing gunshot filled the silence, and I knew that whatever it was, it was not afraid of me. The following nights were filled with terror as the creature continued to stalk my home. It would circle the cabin, scratching at the walls and windows, letting out haunting howls that sent shivers down my spine. I barricaded myself inside, afraid to venture out even during the day. I tried to call for help, but my remote location made it impossible to get a cell signal. I was trapped alone and at the mercy of this malevolent presence in the woods. I began to doubt my decision to live in such isolation, and I longed for the company of even the most disliked neighbor. The creature's attacks grew more brazen, and I knew that it was only a matter of time before it would find a way inside. I had to come up with a plan, a way to defend myself against this relentless terror. As I sat in my dimly lit cabin, surrounded by the sounds of the creature's relentless pursuit, I realized that my preference for solitude had brought me face to face with a nightmare I could never have imagined. Solitude was no longer a choice, it was a curse, and I was its prisoner. I knew that if I wanted to survive, I would have to confront the creature in the woods. It was a terrifying prospect, but it was my only chance to regain my life and sanity. With my rifle in hand I prepared to face the darkness that had become my relentless tormentor. After the unsettling encounter with the potential home invader, the ominous presence in the forest surrounding my cabin grew bolder and more aggressive. For the past four nights, a recurring nightmare had haunted my sleep. A relentless pursuit through the dark woods by an unseen malevolence. Each morning I awoke with the disconcerting sensation that it was inching closer to capturing me. My life began to unravel. I slept less and ate sparingly the relentless headaches escalating in intensity. 
I felt like I was falling apart, both physically and mentally. Moving was financially out of the question. My savings had been exhausted in securing this cabin. It wasn't just the looming threat of homelessness that left me a wreck. Discovering the existence of unexplainable entities, hidden beneath the facade of our supposedly civilized and perfect world, had shattered my sense of reality. Questions that once seemed absurd now gnawed at my sanity. Did vampires truly exist? Had aliens ventured to Earth to abduct unsuspecting individuals? Bigfoot? All these notions I dismissed as nonsense took on a disconcerting gravity once I knew for certain that an abomination lurked just beyond my sight. Though I had brought a firearm with me for protection, the memory of the assailant who met a gruesome end on my lawn while brandishing a gun had shaken my confidence. I hadn't even heard a shot fired. It seemed as though the entity was aware of my trepidation. Two nights ago, I heard it right outside my bedroom window, closer than ever before. I cowered behind my curtains as I heard a cacophony of tiny clicks on the glass, as if it were tapping it with countless minuscule fingers. It was a nauseating experience, and I couldn't fathom how it accomplished this. Desperation drove me to search for answers online. It led me to a self-proclaimed monster hunter, a man named Jay, whom I met on a forum dedicated to the inexplicable. After recounting my harrowing tale to him, he agreed to help. Jay believed the entity might be a forest spirit, one that could potentially be defeated. Desperation compelled me to hire this possible lunatic, divulging the location of my cabin. Now I'll recount the events that unfolded since his arrival. Midday brought Jay's arrival in my driveway, parking beside my truck and the abandoned car left by the thief. I eyed him with suspicion as he stepped out of his car, a seemingly average man with scruffy brown hair, standing about six feet tall and slightly built. He spoke with a gruff voice as I nervously inquired, Can I help you? Jay approached the porch, responding, It's Jay, the guy you hired, right? I'm at the right place, am I? He looked around puzzled. I stammered, Oh, yeah, sorry, I just... I thought you'd look like some kind of super tough guy, right? Everyone who hires me says that, he quipped. Common misconception. Don't need to look tough. Only need to be effective, right? He fixed me with a knowing gaze. Speaking of appearances, you look like crap. I rolled my eyes, replying with bitterness. Yeah, I haven't been sleeping much, thanks to the nightmare monster outside. Jay raised his hands apologetically. Sorry, just trying to make small talk. I think I've got an idea on how to deal with your little situation. Gonna invite me in, or are we just gonna keep standing around out here? Suppressing another snarky comment, I led Jay inside, locking the door behind us. I briefly contemplated installing stronger locks, but I doubted they'd be effective against this enigmatic entity. In the kitchen, I took a seat at a small table while Jay sat opposite me. He wasted no time in explaining his plan. Jay believed the entity to be a nature spirit, an exceptionally angry one, capable of gruesome violence. He pointed out the giant tree that had sprouted overnight in my yard as evidence of its presence. His plan involved provoking the entity by attacking the tree with an axe, luring it into a confrontation on his terms. Concerned, I asked, Are you sure angering it is a good idea? And why do I have to help? Don't worry, I only need you to turn on the floodlights outside your house. The lights might disorient it and give me the chance to neutralize it. Jay explained. I begrudgingly agreed, unable to provide a compelling argument against his plan. He was the expert, after all. I gave Jay an overview of the entity's nocturnal activities, mentioning the strange clicking noises it made. The following evening, Jay arrived with his car and parked in my driveway. 
We spent the day preparing for the confrontation. As night fell, we stationed ourselves in my bedroom, which offered a clear view of the backyard. Both armed and on edge, we awaited the entity's arrival. Hours passed in awkward silence until I finally broke it with a question. So, how many of these nature spirits have you encountered before? A sudden snap in the distance jolted us both. It hadn't been more than five seconds since we turned our attention away from the window, and yet, the entity had appeared beside the massive tree in my yard, a shadowy silhouette. Swiftly, Jay grabbed a flashlight and switched it on, casting a brilliant beam of light upon the creature. I reflexively aimed my rifle at the sight, but I was left in awe as the details came into focus. The entity resembled an elk, but its otherworldly appearance was unmistakable. Standing ten feet tall at the shoulder, it was covered in dark green fur resembling moss, adorned with leafy branches and twigs. Its enormous antlers gleamed like polished quartz, giving it an air of regal beauty. I was stunned by its presence, though my headache intensified. Jay muttered, Damn. But unlike me, he showed no signs of suffering from the headache that now plagued me. I've never seen one of these look so regal. Almost makes me feel bad about killing it later. The entity remained still, its crystalline eyes locking onto us. Despite its mesmerizing appearance, I couldn't ignore the overwhelming sensation that my brain was on the verge of rupturing. I couldn't comprehend it. Why had the sight of this creature driven the burglar to scream in terror? The entity, while undeniably unnatural, didn't seem terrifying. Before I could investigate further, Jay turned off the flashlight, plunging the backyard into darkness. I could still make out the entity's silhouette. Another snap echoed through the night. Hypothesis confirmed, Jay said, grinning. However, he furrowed his brow upon seeing my condition. I clutched my head, sweating profusely, and struggled to speak. I stammered. Jay dismissed my distress, suggesting that I might be particularly sensitive to the entity's energy. Then, he casually announced that he would sleep on my couch for the night, emphasizing the need to rest for the impending confrontation. Now, I find myself alone, typing this account on my phone. Although Jay had advised rest, my mind races with the events of the evening. 8 a.m. The day began with a sense of foreboding as I decided to document my experiences. I planned to update throughout the day, just in case something terrible happened to me. Jay, my friend, had shown off an eerie black armor that he intended to wear for his hunt. This armor, he claimed, was unique and held a special significance. I assisted Jay in burying strange items in my backyard, items meant to ensnare a mysterious entity. After reading comments on my previous post, I decided to investigate further in town to gather information about the enigmatic woods. Jay surprisingly agreed with my plan, but he had a stipulation. If I didn't return home in time, he would proceed with his mission alone. The uncertainty pushed me to seek answers. 10.36 a.m. In town, I discreetly inquired about any unusual occurrences in the woods, careful not to appear unhinged. Frustratingly, people seemed clueless or pretended to be. I found myself trapped in a lengthy, absurd story from an elderly man about a bear in a tree branch. A comment on my previous post mentioned the grocery store employee who gave me a strange look. I attempted to find her again, only to discover she wasn't working that day. Nevertheless, I resolved to keep searching for her. 11.53 a.m. After a relentless search, I finally found her at the town park, feeding birds. My haste surprised her initially, but she agreed to discuss my concerns. It turned out she possessed vital information. However, she insisted on relocating to a more private place, despite my reservations. 
Despite my misgivings, I agreed to follow her, promising updates if I survived. 2.33 p.m. In her cozy home, Miss Pembroke, as I learned to call her, began to share her knowledge. Her living room exuded an elderly scent, and I settled into an overstuffed couch. Her chihuahua, Barnabas, occupied my lap, a curious choice for a dog's name. Miss Pembroke then proceeded to explain her connection to the mysterious entity. She acknowledged that she had information I needed and regretted not speaking earlier. Her own experiences with the strange occurrences in the woods mirrored mine. She revealed her traumatic past involving an abusive father and indifferent neighbors, detailing her escape into the woods one fateful night. It was there that she encountered the entity, which she referred to as her. Her story painted the entity as a guardian, saving her from a terrible fate. I listened, captivated and unsure of what to say. Her tale challenged my previous perceptions, and I realized there was more to the entity than I had initially believed. 7 a.m., the following day. My world unraveled, and I found myself in a dire situation. I returned home at 3.50 p.m. after my conversation with Miss Pembroke, only to discover Jay lounging on my couch, watching a B-movie about giant ants. I attempted to discuss my newfound knowledge with him, hoping to convince him to abandon his dangerous plan. Jay, for once, remained silent, absorbing the information. However, my attempt to dissuade him failed and he resorted to violence. He struck me from behind, sending me crashing into the fridge, bloodied and unconscious. For hours I drifted in and out of consciousness, eventually awakening tied to my front door. Jay's treacherous act left me helpless, and I felt an impending sense of doom. Snap! A series of ominous sounds signaled Jay's approach from the woods, executing his ill-fated plan. Desperation spurred me to free myself from my restraints. After several agonizing attempts, I managed to escape and retrieved my rifle, loaded with the mysterious, cursed bullet Jay had given me. Snap. Outside, Jay confronted the entity, trapped within a glowing cage and unleashed a hail of bullets. I desperately tried to stop him, but my shot unintentionally killed Jay, ending his life and shattering the cage. My world descended into chaos. Snap. The entity, far from being trapped, revealed its true form. A grotesque amalgamation of broken bodies, a macabre mockery of an elk, haunted my vision. I was paralyzed with fear as it approached, its malevolent presence overwhelming me. Crack. Suddenly, the lights went out, plunging the backyard into darkness. In the ensuing chaos, my shot struck Jay instead of the entity. Jay's lifeless body crumpled to the ground, a testament to my unintentional actions. Snap. The entity seized me with its skeletal hands, its alien gaze penetrating my soul. I felt its dark power surge through me, forging an unbreakable bond. Snap. In the aftermath, I discovered my newfound connection to the entity, understanding its true purpose. My life had taken an unexpected turn, and I embraced my role as the entity's ally. 8.36 a.m. I have transcended mortality, bound eternally to the entity. I am no longer a mere human, but a chosen guardian of the woods. My headache has vanished, replaced by clarity and purpose. In my dreams, I glimpse the entity's vision for a harmonious world, where towering trees provide shelter and protection. I'm not alone. There are others like me, including Miss Pembroke. We share a unique bond and an unwavering dedication to the entity's cause. I am no longer burdened by the trivial concerns of the past. My sole mission is to serve the entity, to help bring about the world it envisions. The trees are my allies, 
and the Entity is my friend. To those who read my story, you too can become a friend of the Entity. Embrace the transformation, and together we can shape a better world.